0: Ennis.
1: I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb,
0: and you're in the Transporter Room. This week, we're talking to June Eastwood. But first, Carly, we're here on a special day, Tuesday, a day earlier than usual, because we have breaking news. <coughs> Red alert! Breaking news from Carly Webb. Carly, we what's have the a, story? Well,
1: the big story is the 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 world rugby saga continues, and now another another front of opposition has been opened up by people in the ivory tower of gro- 80 academians from who are in disciplines, such as sports, sports management, social policy, public policy. They have, have come together and they penned a letter to world rugby, essentially saying that we, as people who deal in research and deal in knowledge are telling you succinctly, do your homework. Your science is based on on extrapolation. You're basing basing all your conclusions on things that have nothing to do with rugby. You talked to exactly zero trans-feminine rugby athletes. You talked to one trans-feminine athlete in total in the working group, and they're not a rugby player, they're a runner. You only talked to one trans person who was a rugby player who was trans-masculine. Overall, slipshod science extrapolations having known transphobes on the working group we can't run with it as people whose job it is to seek knowledge and find truth we can't run with this we stand in opposition of it also some good news at the end of last week that a national federation has come out publicly and said if this is what the final proposal is going to be we're against it and that was rugby canada Rugby Canada said in a statement that we are that we're not buying, we're not buying the science, we're not buying this this research. It's flawed. And the ban that you're going for goes against our national human rights laws as well. We can't go with you if this ban goes forward. So a very important step. And one of the people that was in the article that I put forth was Dr. Madeline Pape. Now, Madeline Pape is currently a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Lausanne, Switzerland. That's just down the street from most of the world's governing bodies, including the IOC. Before she became a PhD, she was a world-class middle distance athlete. So this is a person that knows the social science in, knows the gender studies in, and, and just as important, knows the sporting end. She's been in competition, including one of the rivals that she ran against in her career was a certain person named Castor Semenya. She said, in fact, that experience in dealing and seeing the vitriol that Semenya went through really got her to look at what her views on the issues are. So overall, this letter is important. This letter is very important. We're going to see a lot more discussion on this leading up to when World Rugby announces their proposal later this year.
0: And you've also got a story about our last guest, who was on the transporter room last week, a out youth soccer referee, and her story was what I think you said it best. it makes you cheer and it brings you to tears
1: that's right, Jacqueline Harbor Grubb now picture someone growing up dealing with this, trying to play sports in in america's heartland and they figure if I can't play sports, I can become official. An official. She became a high school official in five different sports, but she found a home in soccer. And she is a U.S. Soccer Federate, U.S. Soccer Federation um, accredited referee. She's going up the ranks in the youth division right now, which means she would be eligible. She her goal is to, in the short term, is to be eligible for the FIFA Youth World Cup that's under 19 under 17 under 15 and I wouldn't bet against her it was a it was great to interview you her and interview her spouse and just to see all the stars align for her for her support from family support from friends support from spouse it shows what happens when you have supportive people around you and you have an opportunity to thrive and she has had many opportunities to thrive and she's grabbed the whistle and she's ran with it
0: Jackie Harper Grubb. She's definitely somebody I'm really excited to have back so we can update the, our, our listeners to hear how she's doing. Because so far, so good. Now, let's set our coordinates for Big Sky Country. Carly, beam up this week's guest, June Eastwood.
1: Energize and June, welcome to the Transporter Room. It's great to have you here. Yeah, great, great to be here. Now, June, it's been a few months since your triumph at Big Sky indoors. What have you been doing, and what's coming next?
2: Yeah, so after after that indoor season ended, um, we, we did get the news um, probably two weeks later that there wasn't going to be an outdoor season because of you know the ongoing pandemic. Um, so initially, I I started training uh, again, but for like ultra distance races. Cause I, I had signed up for a 50 K, um, in June and I sort of, I guess I needed an emotional break from it after, you know, 11 years of, of year round competing in cross country and track, um, just kind of took a step back from running and focused on other things. Um, I still did run that 50 K. I just did it with no training which I wouldn't advise. (laughs) And and I guess now that that summer's passed and maybe because the weather's getting a little colder around here and fall's my favorite time of year to be running. um, I'm really fired up and starting to look towards next year as far as, as training goes. Um, Yeah. Now one thing, how,
1: How did you manage to kind of get away from it and take a break, especially given some of the vitriol you've had to deal with? How have you kind of shielded yourself from it? Give yourself a mental break away from running. What have you been doing outside of
2: running to just kind of, you know, just get, just get back to being June. Yeah. I I think at the summer, I guess I read, I read a lot. Um, I listened to a lot of music uh, I worked at a coffee shop this summer, um, and then I, I've been getting ready for grad school. So I, I'm in grad school now, a couple of weeks along, um, and that was kind of the focus of the summer was get, gearing up and getting ready for that. Um, yeah, so so I think I've always really enjoyed reading, and, and that was a good way to sort of hit a reset.
0: I have to think somebody who runs as fast as you do must be the fastest coffee deliverer person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you must be the speedy barista.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was. That was uh, a, like a taking a putting a fish in water sort of thing um, <laughs> with me, me and coffee, like. The fast paced sort of worked for me really well. They, I bet my, my boss my boss said at that job that she didn't really have to train me because I, I kind of just got it right away.
0: Good for you. And I remember you talked to us a little bit about today. You've already been out there running today even.
2: Yeah, so yeah, I ran uh like six miles just before this. Um just put a podcast on and um just an easy run. I'm just sort of base training right now, trying to find my feet again, get back in shape.
0: And, and I'd like to ask your um, title, which folks at home can't see, but it says running philosopher. Tell us why you call yourself a running philosopher.
2: Uh, yeah, so um, I'm studying environmental philosophy um, as a master's program. And, and I have a, a bachelor's degree in philosophy and gender studies. I have a, two bachelor's degrees. Um it, and I guess the idea is that I'm trying to incorporate the two, uh my you know, my environmental philosophy passion and my passion for you know any sort of you know climate change issues and um sustainability and seeing how I can tie that into my my passion and love for running.
1: I'm gonna well I'll talk about that a little bit. Okay. How does climate change factor into your running? How has your running kind of influenced your views on that issue and perhaps other issues? How has running influenced your scholarship?
2: Uh, Yeah, so so I think that because I am sort of more on like the trail running side of things, um, I think the community itself is very aware of climate change issues. uh, And in that way, it's a very positive community to be a part of and again like being in missoula montana it's another place where you know climate change is, is sort of in the minds of people around here um and just because there's so many different environmental activism and advocacy groups um honestly i i think it's just like being out in the mountains and, and on the trails alone and kind of just thinking and, and wanting to sort of protect that as you know as we face global climate emergency. You mentioned activism. I think that
0: you are, unfortunately, an involuntary activist in terms of court action and legal fights that you have been drawn into. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I haven't been super involved with it. Um, they they didn't ask me to say anything. I've just been sort of on the receiving end of um, the vitriol, like, the sort of tired vitriol of the, the ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, um, and specifically um, well, Mary Kate Marshall and Maddie Kenyon, um, who are two ISU athletes who I apparently competed against. Uh, I never met these two girls because, well, well partially because they, they weren't um, people that I saw around races. I, I mean, I met a lot of their teammates um, who are wonderful and supportive of me, and friendly. Um and, and it's just unfortunate that, you know, two girls who who have results where, you know, they're also getting beat by forty-four cisgender women athletes pick the one trans woman um to sort of single out, even though in most of these races that I ran well, and actually every single race that I ran against both of them, I didn't win those races. Um, but yeah, they 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 were so uh, in what I'm thinking is the ADF language that comes through in well, specifically the opinion piece written in the Idaho Statesman by Maddie Kenyon. um, The ADF language is really apparent in there, just like, you know, transphobic language and the way she talks about the whole issue is it's just the same stuff that we've had to listen to um, from the ADF for, you know, years now and they just keep recycling it and hoping eventually it will stick. Um, and, and I, I think it's a little that argument gets hard with a case like I mean when you actually look at, at the evidence and, and at the people.
1: Well uh, I happen I happen to re- I happen to have read that article in the Idaho Statesman and I'll I'll go one step farther. I think the ADF wrote it in a lot of ways because it just it just sounds like one of their press releases. What's your gut, what's your gut feeling? When oh my God. you're seeing all this out there, and all of a sudden, first having your name mentioned, and you don't even go to school in Idaho, and you're
2: probably thinking, "Why are they? Why are they messing with me? I had nothing to do with this." I guess it makes sense because that that sort of legislation would affect out of state athletes as well. Um, so, like, say I still had eligibility, which which technically I do with COVID, but I'm, I'm not going to compete um, in track at least. Um, and there was me in Idaho, and and this laws in place. That means I don't get to compete, um, even though I'm I'm not an Idaho citizen. Um, so so I could see why they would pull that in, and because, well, I think the ADF sort of went and did some recruiting to find some people who could spread their argument, and, and I feel like Maddie Kenyon and Mary Kate Marshall were were both recruited by the ADF rather than the, them seeking out the
0: ADF. And this is who we're talking about. It is a law group that is based in Christian activity. They are out to make the Bible over the law, and they are fighting court cases all across the country to discriminate against not just trans athletes, but LGBT people. This. Group has been labeled an extremist hate group for that activity by the Southern Poverty Law Center, and they've earned that title. They are out to change the laws, change the policies that right now allow trans people to compete fairly. They're not trying to right or wrong. They're trying. They're they a, a solution in search of a problem, and I'm wondering. How must it feel to be dragged into this? This wasn't your fight. this wasn't something you wanted to do. so how did that make you feel seeing your name dragged into this?
2: Yeah, I mean even when I came into to when I made the decision to compete for my fifth year on the women's team um I didn't really want the media attention um it wasn't something i again you you use the word involuntary activist um and uh, I, I feel that way now, right? Like I, I can't get away from that. Like my name carries some weight now. Um, so they can sort of throw that around it. and it has some amount of name recognition just because of, uh, you know, where where my where the other places where my name has appeared, um, other, you know, certain publications. Uh,
1: June going deep going deeper with that i'm the the question i've i've had ever since just following your story and also reading some things about it including seeing that beautiful race which we're going to get to in a minute how did you get here well what was the process for you like what was it like having to balance sport but also dealing with okay do i transition do i not transition who am i what was it like to come out and come out as an athlete
2: yeah so so i kind of knew that i i was a, a trans person before i started being an athlete um, i i know that's sort of a stereotypical story that like i knew from when i was really little but but i really i really i did you know 12 you know 11 12 years old i was in middle school at the time um I did a lot of research and, and, you know, found a YouTuber, um, who was actually the first person to, um, document a transition on YouTube. Um, it was Erin Armstrong, um, and she was just watching her videos was really helpful because I, I finally found sort of the language to explain what I had been feeling. Um, and, and this is, you know, before it's just like right as soon as puberty hit, like I knew this stuff was going on. And, um, at the same time, right. Like I'm mentoring middle school and I finally have the opportunity to compete in, in running and, and cross country and track. Um, and, uh, not at the time did I, it was just like a really hard thing to talk about when I was in middle school. And so I didn't come out. Um, but, but then through high school, like, I started to think about the future more and, and at the same time, I was trying to repress these feelings uh, because I thought they were going to get in the way of my running. Um, and that sort of sentiment carried through through my you know my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. Um, I had really like high aspirations like you know I, I wanted to be like a professional runner. And I didn't think that you could be a professional runner and a, a trans person at the same time. So the idea was just to you know put it all in a box and hope that uh, just the the runner you know June Eastwood would be enough. Like I would I would feel happy and satisfied enough with myself as a runner. Um, and you know eventually eventually that that uh, didn't didn't work anymore um, and. You know I got injured uh my sophomore year of college, oh, and what happened? Uh, yeah i had, I had an i t band injury that actually sidelined me for my entire indoor season oh, uh, and and that had been that was the longest period of time that I had gone out running since you know since I was twelve years old um, and running sort of works like an antidepressant in a way. Um, you know, you have endorphins and, you know, happy brain chemicals and stuff, and it made it easy to deal with the other stuff. But as soon as I didn't have the running, I realized like, wow, I am, I really need to sort through some of this stuff because it was, it was really, it was a really dark time.
0: I'm so sorry, but I'm glad that you came out the other end. How old are you now, June? Um, I'm 23 now. 23. Oh, to be 23 again. June, I want to ask, what is your life like now? Now. I get your feeling of the endorphins that you got today when you ran and, and that feeling that you've been um, talking about. But I like to say to people, being trans is like the fifth or sixth most interesting thing about me. There are a lot of <laughs> other things that define me. What would you say in relation to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way. Like, I, I, you know, I, I don't go a day without thinking about the fact that I'm a trans person. But again, like... It's not something that I I think dominates my identity. Um, I think that, you know, being somebody who loves running and uh, secondly, somebody who cares very deeply about the environment and where we're headed. um, I I think those things are are probably, well, and even like somebody who loves music and you know likes to spend time with with people she likes, but like those things matter way more. Um, And... Again, like I I do have some amount, uh, I will admit, like I have uh, a high degree of of, like passing privilege Um, and that does help me just sort of people, unless I talk about it, people don't know. Um, And that allows me to sort of, as long as people don't do a Google search, obviously, (laughs) um, that allows me to sort of get away from from that label you know this this trans runner
1: and we're hearing that sound so it's time for us to head to a break but when we come back we're going to ask june about being a grizzly and being a champion you're listening to the transporter room we'll be back
0: In the Transporter Room, our guest, June Eastwood, my co-host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and me, Dawn Ennis. June, apart from running, what's your jam? What is it you do? What do you think of when you think of, I want to do something fun? What is that? What's the answer to that question?
2: Um, Honestly, I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, um, <laughs> and I-, I listen to a lot of music. Uh, it- what music? Like- what's your
0: what music are you listening to?
2: I, yeah, I listen to a lot of different types of music. I, I think a lot of people would maybe categorize my music taste as a little, you know, crunchy granola. Um, I listen, my, my favorite artist is probably Janis Joplin. Um, I actually have the same tattoo as, as she does, or she did, rather. Um, well, like what does the tattoo say? What does it say? Yeah, so it's a, it's a Brazilian mandala that's a symbol for, I guess, feminine empowerment. Um, and I got it when I was a freshman or a sophomore in college. Awesome. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. I think I think it was my freshman year, um, but it was as like, uh, "Don't compromise," because that's kind of what she's all about. You know, well, you always know, sure to find your your most authentic self. Well, you know, freedom's just another word
1: for nothing left to lose. Ah, True. We're gonna miss <laughs> uh, nothing like some. Hey, I'm a fan of Janice as well. Um, well, no, with that in mind, though, one place is that, talk about what it was like to have the opportunity to run and run as yourself and have that freedom at the University of Montana. Because, I mean, in another outlet, you've talked about how you, were, how you were brought in, you were accepted, you were accepted from the head coach on down, the head coach Brian Schwein, who recently retired. What was that process like? to get from A to B what were those adjustments like and what did it mean for you to put on that maroon and white and compete
2: as yourself? Yeah. So I think, uh, I think it's important to note that actually the second person I came out to after my best friend was actually my collegiate distance coach uh, for most of my collegiate career, at least Uh, she was the coach for the first four years. Um, And And it, and I knew she was going to have my back partially because, um, she had had her professional coach transition, uh, while she was still competing as a professional athlete. Um, so so she kind of had some familiarity with it. Um, and she was sort of immediately supportive, but it was nice to have her looped in so that, that she could best train me as an athlete. Um, and when I first talked to her, the idea was like, hey, like I'm dealing with this, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Um, I'm going to just, you know, continue to run and let's prioritize that. Um, And and eventually, again, uh, that that didn't work out um, because it got harder once once it's out, you know, it just wants to come out more. Um, And eventually I was just I was still so just like depressed and and felt kind of trapped um, in in that like trying to be this this athlete and, and people not knowing um, and, and I came out to my team as like pretty early on in my junior cross-country season um, and basically what that ended up looking like was I competed um on the men's team, but everybody knew me as June. And, um, you know, I was out to my teammates um, and and they were really supportive and all of that. And the idea was like, hey, like, I'm just gonna be done after this year so that I can focus on this. Um, And then what ended up happening was um, that that was sort of how I was carrying along uh, until um, the indoor track season came along and I had just finished competing at, um, you know, the indoor conference championships and had had sort of a, a, like an unsatisfying meet. I just didn't run very well for many factors. Um, and I was sitting alone in this hotel room or not in the hotel room. I was in the hallway of, of this hotel room in Cedar City, Utah on the way back. We, we actually took a bus all the way to Fogstaff and back, which was a nightmare. Um, So we stayed in Cedar City on the way back and I was journaling and I kind of decided while I was journaling that, you know, this I'm going to regret not competing or at least trying to compete these last two years um, because not every person has the privilege of getting to be a division one student athlete. Uh, and I didn't want to look back in 10 years and say, oh, wow, like, what if? Um, so so I, uh, sort of immediately, as soon as we got back to Missoula, I, I went and talked to my coaches and sort of looped them in. And I was like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Right. Like as soon as outdoor season is um, done, like I'm going to start this transition thing and take a year off, um, start training with the women's team. Uh, and then come back from my fifth year and run with the women's team and they're like, okay, I, I mean like you're you're tougher than me, but okay, let's let's try this. Um it, and I guess I ironically sort of right after talking to them about this, I had uh probably my, my best outdoor track season uh that I've had yet. Uh not that I'm gonna run track anymore, but that that junior track season where I knew that the end was in sight. I was going to be able to, you know, focus on me, and I wasn't going to have to be stuck in a sport that that didn't fulfill me. Um, I mean, not the sport itself, but like running with men uh, wasn't—it didn't feel right. Um, I, I did have I did have my, my best track season just because there was like this looming sense of of um, freedom that was coming. And, and then, you know, I, I, I think the rest is, is pretty well covered elsewhere. Well, follow up to that,
1: because as you were going through my pro- as you were going through your process, I was going through mine. So a lot of the things that you're talking about, I felt them. And one thing I did feel was in late February, I'm tuned into flow track. I see you tow the line for the final of the women's mile at big sky at big sky conference championships. Take me through that race and just how you're feeling. And just, did you expect to be that dominant?
2: Yeah. So, so the night before, um, I, I had ran the DMR, um, and I was running against um, a lot of the people who were going to end up running this mile race the next day. Um, and I had, had a really strong performance in my like the the mile, um, we ended up up getting second as a team, um, to NAU and my, my friend Pippi who runs for NAU, who's also from my hometown, we were high school teammates, um, uh, which was, you know, an awesome experience to get to run with her. Every, every time I've got to run with her, I loved it. Um, and the next, I, I think that sort of boosted my confidence a little bit. Um, but again, like going into a race, you never exactly know what's going to happen. And you sort of prepare yourself for all different sorts of possibilities. Uh, you have sort of a general race plan, uh, but you know, there's backup options and all, all of that kind of thing. Um, and I, I knew because I had raced a lot of these girls before, a lot of these women rather, um, that, that, I mean, any one of like six women could have won that race, um, on any given day, just depending on, on, on whose body was feeling right. Um, and told the line next, again, next to my friend Pippi, um, and I get into this race and we're sort of just relaxed. I'm sitting about mid-pack for uh, probably about the first 800, um, and I, I decide uh, I look over at my coach, um, who's wildly waving his arms up, up like uh, crank up the pace just a little bit, uh, just just because he, knows, he I I he just knew me because of running practices and, and races so well, like. He he! I looked a little too relaxed, apparently, um, and so of course I pick it up, and I end up sort of right behind or right with uh, Michaela Malaspina, who actually won the five k the night before, and then a couple hours after our mile race, ended up going and winning the three k, and then also was second in the in the mile. So she had just an incredible meet, um, incredible like she was so fit um and again going into the the last 3 laps last 600 um i look over at my coach again and you know he up 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 so i, I was kind of just taking cues from him and i was uncomfortable but again like a mile race at that point is always going to be uncomfortable um and you just know that it, it there it will end eventually um And I'm, I'm just worried that these people behind me are going to catch me. Like if I slow down even a second, then I'm just going to get past. Uh, And uh, again, like, I guess I didn't, I thought they were there the whole time until I crossed that finish line. Um, And I look back and I I, I didn't expect that. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Wow. Again, like any, all of those girls had had performances that were equivalent to the performance I had on that day. Like there was, you know, four other girls that were within a second of the adjusted time um, after that race. So honestly, it was just like, I had a good day and everybody else, well, Michaela Malaspina had run the 5,000 the day before. Otherwise, she probably would have beat me. Um, And again, like people were just not on it. And I just happened to be, which was nice.
0: I have two follow-ups That First of all, what a feeling that must be. I have often heard the expression, you know, don't look behind you. You're not going that way. (laughs) (laughs) But does your um, record indicate that you also lose? Because I think the narrative that is being propagated is that you always win and that trans athletes always win. And I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about The fact that you don't always win.
2: Yeah. So I actually, um, the entire time I was racing on the women's team, I won, I won that race. Uh, the one we just talked about, I won our home cross country race, which was just our team and then a bunch of NEIA and D3 schools. So it was kind of like a, a grizzly inner squad team meet. Um, so we are just kind of racing each other. And uh, I didn't win any other races during cross country. Uh, I, I don't think I, I, I guess I placed second in one. Uh, and then during indoor season, I won again that, that championship race and then only um, a race in Bozeman about a month before. Yeah. That I, I, again, I just had a good night. And, yeah, of and I'm not trying to make
0: you relive your, 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 your yeah. Uh,
2: losses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's just yeah, the, so, to prove the
0: point, you know?
2: I mean, again, like, right. Like I, just like a lot of other athletes, like I'm not, I would show up and anybody else could have had a better race on that day. Like I wasn't even always the best on my team. Like I was getting beat by my teammates at a lot of these races. Um, my, my teammate who was a freshman, um beat me in a whole bunch of races i think we kind of split like half and half um my my teammate who is also a fifth year senior beat me in a couple of races and um, again like we were training together and and just like that kind of energy was really good um but but i i didn't win every race i i i got if you, if you want to talk about dominating um, I guess I lost the regional cross-country race. I, I placed 60th um, <laughs> out of, you know, 100 and some odd, 120 or something like that, 130. Um, so like mid-pack. And the girl who who beat me, who was the, the girl who won the race, uh, there's a lot of women who beat me, including my teammate um, and Pippi, uh, was uh, Wenny Kaladi, uh, and, and she won that race. She, she was two minutes and 30 seconds in front of me for a, okay. for a, for a 6K.
0: I, I feel better um, all of a sudden, um, having only run one 5K. yeah, <laughs> And I'm not going to tell you what the time we're was.
1: Working, we're working on number two.
0: Yeah, that's, that's it's 10 years now. It's 10 years between 5Ks. So let me ask you, June, what is your advice for closeted runners who are trans, and for other trans athletes who are still in the closet who are listening right now and want to know what can they do to take that step out of the closet? What's your advice for them?
2: Uh, I I think I would say uh, that there are resources. Um, There are people who are sort of willing to have those conversations. You just have to reach out to them. Um, That YouTube I mentioned earlier, I I actually did reach out to her and, and talk to her a little bit. She's not, she's not like a well-known youtuber but um she was really helpful um and, and again like you're you're not the only one right like there are other people doing the same thing like you, you're you, the, this sort of trip path has been walked before um and you know take some cues from the people who have walked it before and um yeah use use them as inspiration mm-hmm. Now,
1: with that in mind, I I know of an athlete who's reached out to us and asked us to reach out to you because, well, she her running is struggling right now and she's really hating her body at the moment and she just feels slow and it's frustrating and she's going through transition. What kind? I mean, she could use a pep talk as a, a I mean. As a champion athlete, what words of encouragement could you give her? Yeah,
2: I think that the transitioning runner, the transitioning, it took me months, like a year to sort of find out like uh, what my my new physiology kind of dictated for training. Um, I mean, it took me a lot longer to recover. Um, I had to eat different things and nutrition became a different, different sort of focus. Um, and, And. I would say that it it will eventually just through persistence, it will, you'll eventually figure it out. Um, And eventually you'll start to to learn some things and gain some self-knowledge and, and sort of that, that will help in the long run. Um, And and with any sort of, of running or any sort of sport, it's not like a short-term thing. It's long-term gains over and, and trusting the process more than anything.
1: By the way, that runner is me. Thanks, June. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, needed to, I needed to hear that right now. My body's hating me, but no, <laughs> thank you.
0: Well, as we call this the transporter room, we often talk at the end here about the science fiction world. So, June Eastwood, do you have a fantasy or sci fi thing that you're binging on or enjoying?
2: Uh, I mean, for fantasy sorts of things, I do have. Uh, I, I'm a huge Tolkien nerd. I, I love Tolkien. Um, I also I have uh, a couple sci-fi books on the shelf. That I've been meaning to read. Um, I have I have Dune, which is sort of the thick movie's coming kind of out. Optimistic. They're doing
0: they're doing a reboot of the film.
2: Yeah, I did hear that. Um, That's and, cool. and then I I have uh, to tie in my this sci-fi thing with with my philosophy. I, I have the metaphysics of Star Trek. <laughs> uh, which I have I have yet yet to read. Um, oh, but I want again, to borrow that from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then and then other sort of fantasy writers like um, uh, Ursula Le Guin. Uh, her Left Hand of Darkness is is wonderful. Oh,
0: I love the fact that you read. It's a lost art these days.
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> even though a lot of us have found it during this pandemic.
0: Well, that's true. COVID gave us a lot of chances to read up, didn't we? So I would say if you were to. Uh, recommend something to a uh, person who's looking for a, their next read. What would you recommend? What's your what's your book that you recommend to people?
2: Oh, so that I, I this maybe doesn't fall in the fantasy and sci-fi, air, maybe a little bit. Um the book I read at the beginning of the summer was called The Night Circus uh by Emily Morgenstern and uh it was wonderful. It was uh is especially for fall like it's got fall vibes uh like good with a a hot cup of tea or cider or whatever sort of hot drink you like curling up with you know the cold wind outside the rain or whatever is going on in your area and reading this book it's just it's got that got that feeling
0: that's awesome
2: yeah wonderful (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna
1: get it and start it immediately
0: (laughs) june eastwood thank you for joining us in the transporter room please keep running please keep reading and keep in touch with us we'd love to have you back
2: okay sounds good thanks for having me
1: hey all thanks right, for being here look forward to seeing you in some ultra marathon really soon yeah hopefully
0: <laughs> all right beam on down carly
1: beaming back down energized thanks june
0: take care And Carly, you take care, and we'll be back on our regular day next Wednesday. Next Tuesday, mark your calendars, Randy Boos is back with Level Playing Field. Have a great week, and I'll see you on the internet, Carly. Live long
1: and prosper. We'll see you all
0: next week.